0: On The Raw. It's more about how they played rather than the results that have come.
1: It's looking like they'll potentially lose him for the whole season.
0: When he has time to prepare,
2: he's almost unbeatable as a coach.
3: Game of Codes, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Oh yes, we are a Game of Codes, Australia's biggest sporting debate streaming 24-7 on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Matt Petherick, joined by the editor at theraw.com.au, Mr. Daniel Jeffers. Jeffrey, welcome mate. Thanks, Betho. Lovely to be here, as always. Huge show in store as well. Women's Big Bash final happened on the weekend. We're going to review that as well as what's going on in the MCG and the pitch and what it means for the future of Test cricket in Victoria. What have you kept your eye on over the last couple of days, Matt?
0: Oh, just looking looking over towards football, looking over to Japan. Ange Postacoglu winning the J League uh, with Yokohama F Marinos. What, just one of the all-time greatest achievements by an Australian football coach and. Just incredible news for him. Well done, Ange. Can we get him to Arsenal? What do you reckon? Uh, I don't know, mate. He, he could he could help him out, I reckon. He'll, he'll go to Europe sometime in the next couple of years. He's that good. So anyone could help
3: Arsenal out at the moment anyway. Let's get into this. Ah! This is Game of Codes on the Raw, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Plenty happening in the world of cricket. We've got a test match at the end of the week. We've had Women's Big Bash finals, which we're about to get into, Jeffers.
0: Yeah, plenty going on, plenty going on. I think the uh, the less said about my WBBL finals predictions, the better. So uh, let's get into the results. <laughs> let's get straight into the ro- results with cricket expert at theraw.com.au,
3: Mr. Scott Pride. Welcome, legend.
4: Thanks for having me in.
3: Now talk to us, women. a Big batch of finals. I saw Sammy Joe Johnson hit four sixes off the one over and then go out on the last ball. Tell us all about it.
4: How good are the Brisbane Heat? Uh, phenomenal. Like you know, don't
0: won. don't talk like Scott
3: Morrison. One of oh. the great organisations. I agree <laughs> with you, Scott. Parade. Uh,
4: you know, they've won back to back, and and uh, it was a phenomenal performance to back up what they did on Saturday. Uh, you know when they beat the Renegades in the semi-final, chasing 163 and 18 overs, and then backed it up on Sunday. Uh, beating the Strikers in 18.1, chasing down 161, so two really, really strong performances. Uh, I think what you take from that, how good is Beth Mooney? She was phenomenal, uh, 65 off 46 in last year's final, and then backs it up uh, this year with 56 off 45. Her tournament stats, 743 runs at 74, that's a crazy average for T20 cricket. Um, But... The Adelaide Strikers will be pretty disappointed with their performance, I think, um, when you've got players like Sophie Devine and uh, Susie Bates, Megan Shoot all failing in the final there. They should have been better than they were, and they were really sloppy in the field as well, which yeah. was probably uncharacteristic.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there, there are a couple of main t- turning points for this game, and one of the first ones was when Sophie Devine got out second over caught uh, just a horrid ball. Uh, I think it was Georgia Press Rich who who bowled it. Short, wide, outside off and Devine hit it straight down. um, Straight down the fielders, throwed it at at deep third. Um, She goes for five, had been the player of the tournament, leading run scorer. That just took so much impetus out of the the strikers' innings, um, but then you mentioned it earlier, Petho. The, those four sixes in the over from Sammy Joe Johnson, um, as soon as off Sophie Devine, no less. When that happened, that took all the momentum away from Adelaide, who actually started pretty well with the ball. Um, as soon as that happened, it, it was only really—I think—the equation was seven and over for Brisbane with Beth Mooney in. It was—it was never going to be too difficult, and and given. Um, Adelaide kept on missing chances. You know, um, Talia McGrath dropped Maddie Green. Jonathan was uh, Jess Jonathan, who batted really nicely. She was dropped by Amanda Jade Wellington, and then of course Beth Mooney should have been run out, albeit when the game was all but all but won. You, you can't have that. In such a big final So you know Brisbane Superb To go back to back That's that's very tough to do um, But yeah You're right Scotty Adelaide Adelaide missed a few tricks On Sunday
4: That's just the thing With T20 cricket Isn't it You know One or two chances One or two big overs As you said Four sixes and one over The missed run out The drop catches uh, One or two things Can turn a T20 game So when there's that many of them Consistently throughout You're never going to win
3: It brings me to my next point. So, Elise Perry was injured, then the Sixers just went to water. Do you think if she doesn't get injured, the Sydney Sixers give the Heat a real battle in finals?
4: Absolutely. That Sixers team um, are crazy good. I mean, having Elise Perry and Elisa Healy on the same team, uh, you can't get much better than that. So, the fact they missed the semis was probably a surprise, even with Perry injured, but... Yeah. Such as life.
0: Yeah, I mean keep in mind this Brisbane side beat the Sixers in last season's final, so there there's absolutely no guarantee that, you know, the Sixers Sixers would have got up had they been at full strength. I, I believe this was the first WBBL final they didn't make though. So that yeah that indicates how strong a team they've been in this competition. Especially with
3: Elise Parish, She's an absolute superstar. Right, we've got a World Twenty Twenty Cup coming up in the women's game, Canberra. Uh who staked their claim for a spot in that squad? For
4: mine, the the two players that have uh, come from come from nowhere are Jess Duffin and Talia McGrath. So Jess Duffin's played sixty four T Twenty internationals, but hasn't actually played for Australia for about four or five years. Um, but what her her biggest uh, asset to the T Twenty competition this year was her strike rate of one hundred and thirty eight. Uh, which will add a lot to the Australian middle order if she was to be selected. Talia McGrath, 327 runs and 14 wickets at 22, probably speaks for itself across a pretty strong competition. She's also got a little bit of experience.
0: Yeah, Duffin's the really interesting one. Of course, played many, many T20s and ODIs for Australia as as Jess Cameron before before getting married. Um, Her, on form... She makes the Australian team quite comfortably. She was captain of the team of the tournament. But keep in mind, she's an AFLW player. Made the All-Australian team earlier this year. Um, very good player for uh, for North Melbourne. And she herself has said she's not sure what she wants to do um, more. And the AFLW season is in direct conflict with the World T20. So that's a decision she'd have to make. Um, If she wants to play, I think she gets there, but we don't know what's going to happen. A couple of bowlers just quickly. Um, Belinda Vakarewa, really good for the Hobart. Hurricanes was leading wicket-taker going into the finals. Of course, Hobart didn't make it. Um, But also Molly Strano, who performed a really important role for the Renegades in both power play And in the death overs, uh, she would be in the squad, I'd imagine, as a second spinner.
3: Quick comment on the women's big bash overall. Tick to the competition? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's a super comp. This is
3: the Game of Codes on the Raw, show's biggest sporting debate. We're joined by uh, Mr. Scott Pride, cricket expert at theraw.com.au. All right, there is something going on at the MCG, guys. The... uh... Never been been able to say that when you're talking about cricket recently. What is happening with the MCG pitch? So we know the Victorian WA Sheffield Shield match has been abandoned. Talk to us.
4: Well, it's weird, isn't it? Because the MCG pitch has been so flat and lifeless for so many years. And I guess that's the nature of an old drop-in pitch. They just don't maintain that moisture and and allow for the bowlers to have their way. But that Sheffield Shield pitch, that obviously was very soft and it... uh, Divided up in that first session. Divided up. That's not really a word, is it? But it sure, did it that. is. We know where you're going. <laughs> it did. <laughs> they were divided. And, and it became a real danger to player safety. And so that, that the umpires, firstly, let's give credit to the umpires for calling the match off when they did. Um, someone would have got badly injured, I think. Looking at the way those balls were shooting off the surface, you know, I think when you look forward now, you look forward to Boxing Day, and I've, the way the MCG's played over the last probably four or five years, you'd have to think that the consistent trend of flat pitches that are not going to really pose too much of a threat, will carry through. Um, and I think the groundsman will learn a lot from what's just happened. Yeah, I, I
0: think, it, strangely, you actually have to give the MCG ground staff yeah. credit in the intent behind the pitch that they rolled out for the Victoria game. Yeah, the execution was obviously very dangerous, very poor, but the fact they were trying to get a bit more life into it, because this has been as dead a pitch in Australian cricket as as we've seen for a long time. The fact they tried to spice it up, good. Execution, <laughs> yeah, let's not see balls rearing up off a of length and hitting guys in the head. Um, what My main concern now on the back of this is that, you know, we, we've seen the MCG has had a lot of, A lot of problems in recent times with the pitch being too dead. Um, Was given a poor rating a couple of years ago, only average last year. My concern now is that they've overstepped the mark clearly in trying to juice it up a bit. Now, they don't have any more Shield games between now and the Boxing Day test. And of course, the Boxing Day test will be played on a different strip. But I can't imagine them doing anything but playing it pretty cautiously. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if this leads uh, to an even more dour pitch for that test against New Zealand on on December 26. Yeah, agree. So,
3: after every test match, the pitchers get a rating, right? From the ICC,
4: yes. ICC, yeah, match referee, yeah. Talk to us how that works. What do you need for all the ticks? So, my understanding is it's rated on whether it's a good cricket wicket or not. So, that one that Jeffers was talking about, they got a poor rating, that England Ashes... uh, Test, that was probably the worst test match I've ever watched. I'm not even kidding. And we just
3: had the worst series of all time. <laughs> um, so if the MCG puts up a poor pitch
4: this game, what does that mean? Well, I believe it would um, rule them ineligible for test status, for the, or international status, in fact, for the next 12 months, which would then rule them ineligible from the ICC World T20 final uh, next year.
0: Yeah, they, they'd they be at risk of losing the ability to host international cricket for the next 12 months, as far as I can tell. Um, I'd still be surprised if that decision actually happens. I mean, there's such a stature about the MCG that, you know, someone having to make the decision of oh, you guys aren't going to be able to hold international cricket here. Boxing Day I, is somewhere else. I, I, I tell you
4: what, Well, though.
0: not just Boxing Day. The the t- World T Twenty Finals, like that's big. Particularly the women's yeah. one. Of course, being held on um, International Women's Day next year. That going got, for the world record. Of yeah, the biggest crowd of Pe- Katy Perry performing there. I mean, look. It would. You're one of your favorites. What's your favorite Katy Perry song? Dark Horse. I could not name one. <laughs> Never really. Uh, I know she's one of your favorites. California girls. <laughs> um, look. It, so. Ultimately, though, there is so much pressure on the ground staff now to reverse what happened these past few days. Um, I think they're good enough and... and, um that you know the ground staff of course used to work over uh, at, at the Wacker, which was a really good pitch. There, uh, the, one of the problems I suppose is they're still using quite old drop-in pitch technology. There was some talk that they'd go over to the technology now used um, at Optus Stadium and Adelaide Oval. That hasn't happened yet. Months, um, yeah, yeah. So that that's still in the pipeline something needs to happen. I think they're going to play it pretty cautiously for Boxing Day, but, but hopefully we do get something with a bit more spice in it.
4: The problem with playing it cautiously is you're going to get a deck like we had against India last year which was just really slow. very. saw hard. Pujara just put on right run, run. It was very hard to take wickets on, but you also didn't really score that quickly on it. And if we end up with another deck like that, it's not good for cricket. So. It'll get an average rate. Well no. no. Not a poor one. And that's what we
3: don't want. And the best thing to come out of that chat was Jeffers loves Katy Perry. This is Gamma Codes on the RAW show's biggest sporting debate. We've been joined by Scott Pride, cricket expert at theraw.com.au. Thanks for coming in, Legend. This is Game Codes on the Raw show's biggest sporting debate. Some huge news in the AFL coming through yesterday. Jeffers with Lockie Whitfield signing a cheeky
0: seven-year deal with the GWS Giants. That's, that seems to be the uh, the contract length which is in vogue over at uh, GWS. Seven years. Yeah, yeah. Canelio doing it earlier this year, now Whitfield. Gee, they got some good players over there. Pity they couldn't do it in September.
3: Am I right? AFL expert at theraw.com.au, Mr. and Coates. Uh, it's hard to argue against
5: you as much. I want to.
3: <laughs> I right. mean, it
0: was a pity. It,
3: it was, was a pity. pity.
5: I'll be with you on that.
3: <laughs> no, it was not. It was one of the great days and Marlon Pickett needs a seven-year oh, deal. No, 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 oh, okay. Okay. But Back- let's talk oh, about the Giants. What does this seven-year deal mean for the Giants, mate?
5: Uh, well, I think the most important thing is they're just getting their affairs in order as quickly as possible. And you look at, you know, what... What are they dying? <laughs> You <laughs> look at what the the good teams do. They don't they don't bother with contract sagas. They don't bother with that drama. They just get their players signed as quickly as possible. It would They're-
3: have been nice if they put him out in front of North Melbourne so he could
5: deny. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> oh, they probably had a good swing. Look, there, there's currently three teams in the AFL. Who have players contracted for 2025 and beyond? Richmond, West Coast, and Greater Western Sydney. I think that says a lot. I mean, obviously, it's only I think it's only five or six players in that group, but it just shows that you know the the, the really successful clubs over the last couple of years, the ones just don't want to hang around, don't want to wait. They put offers to players if they're worth it, they'll sign it. If they want to argue about, it, they'll test the waters. But I think it's just a important thing to have not have that saga hanging over them for the full 12 months because they've got a lot of players they need to worry about next.
0: I mean, yeah, they they do have a number of players who. We will see something of a contract saga play out. And, um, you know, Jeremy Cameron is definitely first and foremost in that list. I think to, to focus on Whitfield for a second before we start talking about their other guys, he was fantastic last year. It was um, Had he played more games, would have been right in contention for not just not just uh, GWS's best and fairest award, but he would have been right up there for Brownlow. Um, he was he that. pulled well very early. Well, that's... He was... Tremendous, and you know, yeah, had he been fitter, we'd, we'd be talking about him as one of the top three, four players in the competition. Um, you know, more versatile than Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> Gee whiz. Um, no, he's not that, but um, fantastic player. I, I think, um, it shows that GWS are building a really good culture at their club, too. The fact that they've got a lot of guys to buy in on long term deals, which almost certainly means they're taking slightly or they're taking making slight pay cuts, you know... um As Cornelio, we mentioned earlier, uh, Toby Green, they've got a lot of talent there. It's now making sure that they can keep the other pieces around them as well as re-sign their other big fish in Jeremy Cameron.
3: Jeremy Cameron is the name. Are they going to sign him or is he going to have to get squeezed out?
5: So Jeremy Cameron's obviously the toughest one. You look at the list of players that got out of contract this year, the the ones that really matter, it's Jeremy Cameron, Zach Williams, Jeremy Finlayson and Matt DeBoer. Cameron is the one he's already said he's going to put contract talks off until the end of the season. He's got no rush he's in he's in no urgency to sort of get a deal done now, so he's happy to play out the full season win their goal kicking for the ninth year in a row and then, you know, see what he can get elsewhere. He's obviously he's a Victoria boy. A lot of rumors that Geelong are having a gonna have a serious crack at him uh when he comes off contract next season. The thing is though, I actually think the Giants have been preparing for this day for a very long time. You look at who they've lost in the last couple of trade periods. They are twenty seventeen they lose Devin Smith, Nathan Wilson, Shane Mumford who retired originally then he was on good money at the time as well, Matthew Kennedy. Twenty eighteen they lose Dylan Shield, Tom Scully who was on good wicket and Rory Lobb. Last year, well, this year, sorry, Brent Deledio retires, Adam Tomlinson and John Patton go. but like They've actually, you know, we've talked about this sort of mini-Giants ecstasies for a long time. I actually think they've been preparing for quite some time for this contract D-Day. And it wouldn't surprise me with all the moves they've done. You've got to remember as well, probably 2021, Phil Davis and Callum Ward probably retire or, or you know, move on to other clubs. I reckon they have a lot of money saved. Like they actually might be able to pull it off and get Cameron um, under the umbrella too.
0: Yeah, well, I... I think the important one is is Heath Shaw and Shane Mumford come off contract at the same time as Jeremy Cameron. I'm, I'm not so sure that Davis or, or Ward get moved on. I think those guys are so uh, integral to, to the club. But, but I think um, Shaw and Mumford, that, those guys come off contract same time as Cameron. They'll both almost certainly retire. Again, that's going to free up a little bit. More cap space. I one minute. It, it, it's the best part of a year away, so it's really early to be making predictions. Um, and something could happen next season, which changes this completely. We'll almost see, or almost certainly see, North Melbourne's name bandied about. But um, yeah, I I'd, at the moment, I I'd, I'd assume that Jeremy Cameron is going to stay with the Giants.
3: Is there a, a case for Essendon to go after him? We think Joe Danaher is going to end up in Sydney probably next year.
5: Well, obviously, if you're going to lose a key forward and there's a key forward at a contract, you should you should make inquiries. But um, I think Essendon, you know, we looked at the, talked about the players the Giants lost. Essendon picked up Smith and Shield. I don't know how they're going for a contract. I think they've got to re-sign Dyson Heffel this year, too. He's probably not going to go, but he's going to take up a chunk of money as well. I don't know if they'll have the cap space. Apparently, Cameron's already on close to a million bucks a year. He'll want a bit more. I don't know if the Bombers are going to have the cap space to make that work. Well,
0: if you're Cameron, why would you go to the Bombers, though? Like, what is what is the attraction of going from a premiership contender to whatever the hell Essendon are right now? Because they're not a contender.
3: Whoa, not a contender. That's the headline for tomorrow. Raw.com.au's Daniel Jeffrey. The editor says Essendon aren't a contender. Not this controversial is... at all. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Game of Codes on the Raw show's biggest sporting debate. Still and coach AFL expert at au. Thanks for coming in, Ledge. Thank you. This is a Game of Codes on the Raw, Australia's biggest sporting debate. We are coming to the end of the decade, Jeffers, so we're covering every code in Australia and what it's going to look like in the next 10 years. We're going to do rugby in a second. We did uh, the A-League last week. Now we're going to do the NRL right now.
0: Yeah, one of the, uh, I suppose probably one of the more interesting ones just had a a change of chairman at the ARLC, which will have quite the impact on this one.
3: And to help us do it, we've got AJ Mithin, NRL expert at theraw.com.au. How are you, legend? Good, thanks, guys. Looking forward to this one. Should be good. Well, what's it going to look like, mate? Is it all posi- positive for the NRL or is there a few negatives banging around?
2: Well, it's always the same with the NRL. What what we think would be great for the game and what is actually going to happen are usually <laughs> uh, hemispheres apart. Um, and uh, Pete Landy's came on. There's been some... Uh, Some people are very happy. Some people have had their hearts broken because they were expecting a lot of uh, progress, expansion, those sort of things, new creative TV deals, digital rights, all that sort of stuff. And it looks like the NRL just again is just going to take a press and stay where it was. So I can't, in 10 years, who knows? I would hope. And I know there's a stack of other people as well who want it to be, to grow and grow and grow and be more accessible and make the most of the resources it has. I mean, you know, rugby league guys in general, it always circles back to where it used to be and there's people who are terrified of doing anything different.
0: It would be... I mean, it not only would be nice, I think it's actually genuinely important for the NRL to expand beyond the... Typical New South Wales and Queensland boundaries, which it, it currently inhabits. It's an easy target for its critics, you know, to point at the word "national" in NRL and point out that it's only one time zone two when daylight. Science so I spend is on half my day plus Monday to Friday. Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So you're part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um and you know, so vlandi's comments about um, you know, the issues with Perth are problematic. Oh, they were they were idiotic. Seriously.
2: All I mean if anyone's yes. fed about expanding expanding into a market like Perth which has access to different international time uh, time zones. There's all sorts of different um sponsorship opportunities out there, there's proven interest in the game from the crowds that the Western Reds used to get and the crowds that the um other games get the Cobb games and uh, Origin went out there and broke the record in the stadium. So I don't know if maybe just Vlandy's just trying to ease into the role before he starts doing some big big reform, big change. But, um, yeah, I was I, my mouth was... Wide open when I read that comment about Perth, I just—it's completely the wrong way to go.
0: It's a bizarre one. Um, and look, let's let's be honest. Expansion brings with it some serious difficulties. Do you do it through relocating the Sydney club? Um, you probably have to it, it depends how far you go if you 're just going to eighteen teams you can probably found two new ones, but beyond that, you would think you know the n r l probably doesn 't have enough interest to support a twenty team competition or something like there? that mm. um, oh not so much the talent pool but is the you know is the fan pool there is there enough attention in in the sport to to warrant that because the last thing you want is let 's say Four new clubs, you take it up to 20 teams. You don't want three of them to end up like the Gold Coast Titans.
2: So, And it would be more than that, I think, because um, there'd be more in trouble with more there is. If you talk about relocating a team, I don't think they should be doing that. And I've written about this before. I think... If they're going to bring in a second Brisbane team and a second Perth team, they need to be brought in like fresh, um, after consulting with the community and getting on yeah. board, getting them on board to bring along, so they've got a sense of ownership. I mean, we've seen um, the new A League teams have had their own had their problems coming in. Uh, just relocating someone from somewhere else doesn't work. i ask anyone who supported Fitzroy. Uh, and it was in the AFL, that was. And uh, there's, I mean, getting the community on board is absolutely vital. Then you've got your corporate buy-in, then you've got all of that sort of stuff. And you saw across coast the uh, Western Force, even though they got canned, they had a lot of interest. There was a lot of um, support and there was a lot of uh, crowd involvement, but the problem was that Rugby Australia thought there was more dollars and more exposure through Melbourne and they were spoken to by their broadcast partners which is also happening at the NRL. And that's why Brisbane's number one there. Um, one a game in Brisbane every week brings in hundreds of thousands of uh, viewers and tens of thousands in the crowd um, and all of the sponsorship and exposure that comes with that.
0: Yeah, it's there's so many moving parts there. I mean, before we run out of time, there are a few other things that you know worth mentioning. I think It'd be great to see the NRL invest in smaller suburban grounds rather than just looking at these massive behemoths of stadiums which offer no atmosphere. I think that would genuinely help crowd numbers. Because uh, ANZ Stadium with 10,000 people terrible. looks terrible. Yeah. Mate, it looks terrible with 25. And
2: Blandy, uh, to his credit, did did mention yes, that they were That's going one of the things that, I agree that's... with him. Uh, uh, NRL crowds, I think, have capped out at about 15,000, 16,000 over the last 20-odd years. So they're not going to find some magic bullet in a bigger stadium that pumps them up to 25, 30 per game. It's just not going to happen.
0: One other other quick thing. Sorry, AJ. I'd love to see the NRL bring in a proper free agency and trade period because the current player movement system just does my head in.
3: 100%. I don't even understand it. All of a sudden, there's blokes here, there's blokes there. It's all... Contracts. Oh, it's the
0: signing a contract with a new team and then playing out the following <laughs> yeah. season with another club, You speak
2: in my language, fellas. I reckon any player should be able to go anywhere at any time until there's a deadline. If they can pay, pay out a contract, do it. If the club can pay out the contract and bring them over early, do it. But, uh, yeah, free everyone.
3: <laughs> <laughs> AJ Myth, an NRL expert at theraw.com.au. Thanks for coming on Game of Codes, the show's biggest sporting debate.
2: No worries, fellas.
3: (laughs) This is Game of Codes on the Raw show's biggest sporting debate. So, Jeff, as we just did what the NRL is going to look like over the next 10 years, we did the A League last week. Get that on the iHeart radio app. But now it's time to do rugby.
0: Yeah, sure is. And um, some, much like with NRL, a few developments going on at the moment which are going to have uh, quite the impact in the world of rugby. Jeff Parks, rugby expert at theraw.com.au to
3: help us out. How are you, legend?
0: Uh, Very good. Thank you. And I can kick off by saying, confidently
1: that uh, in 10 years' time we won't be talking about Israel Salah and that has to be I don't
0: know (laughs) someone will find a way Um, I've sort of broken it up into
1: three areas Uh, what will the game look like on the field what about the political or off-field factors and then some couple of specific outcomes for Australia so just with respect to on the field, I think we'll continue to see tactical and law changes uh, affect the way the games are played. You know, the improvements in strength and conditioning of players, also concerns around concussion, uh, that that leads lawmakers to uh, tinker, they want to retain the integrity of the game as contest for the ball, so we'll see more messing around with breakdown laws, and also the concerns about player safety. So. I think they'll keep defensives back. We'll maybe see offside lines changed or set back. And also expect to see rope producers to have a distinct line across the chest from armpit to armpit, just like the line at the top of a stellar glass, at which nothing is supposed to go over the top. Um, and I think that'll also lead to uh, some chaos with TMOs trying to determine whether any part of the tackler's arm was below the line or not, a bit like.
0: We need more TMO, Kamos.
1: Well, we do. A bit like a third umpire looking at a no ball. Uh, That's not (laughs) going to be good for the game, but something like that is coming. Uh, In terms of the politics and off-field, there'll be no let-up in the global power struggle between club and country. Neither are going away. Um, It's quite feasible that Super Rugby in its current form won't be around. That's accelerated as much as anything by... The economics and safety situation in South Africa Pushing players north Um, But at the same time We'll have the inclusion of Japan into the rugby championships And in the future into some kind of regional replacement to super rugby Uh, And that'll be commercially desirable and good for Australia Uh, And then just a couple other things about Australia You know, Australian rugby's obviously been rife with internal division for decades So I'd be surprised if that's suddenly going to all get cleaned up And and particularly because Australian rugby, I think it just reflects Australian society's trends and behaviours. And if we look at politics and general social discourse... You know, we see society becoming less adept at engaging collegially and uh, in a tolerant way. And rugby's caught up in that, unfortunately. In pure rugby terms, I'm optimistic. Uh, The big challenge is obviously, but I think the Polynesian demographic will underpin elite high performance. And I think the women's game will continue to grow strongly. And... You know, it won't stop constant media claims that the game's dying or dead. You know, particularly uh, what will help, though, the last thing I think of Australia's successful in winning World Cup hosting rights for 2027. Now, I think the scenario for 10 years' time would be a lot more promising than what it looks today.
0: Yeah, that's, that's one of the ones which is really fascinating. And there are a couple of developments which have started already which are going to have such a big impact on the next 10 years. That uh whoever hosts that world cup is obviously one of them and the other one is the the broadcast negotiations which are going on right now and um Brett McKay and I had a chat about it a couple of weeks ago, so I don't want to harp on about Get it too Get that podcast much. on the iHeartRadio app. Do what Petho says. But it's so important for Rugby Australia to find a balance between a deal which is good for their coffers and balancing that with something which gets the game the exposure it needs, preferably on free-to-air TV. Um, going to be so important. Uh, I, I think you're right, Jeff. around Super Rugby. I'd be... Surprised if it's still, um, if it's still going this time, next decade, um, particularly in its current format. I mean, you know, if we have something which is almost, you know, one a, minute a three or four kind of area. Tournament, which you know, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, the Pacific Islands, something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens on a, on a club level, um, but you certainly get the impression that Super Rugby as it currently exists is not going to be around for too much longer.
3: Look at the game on an international scale. For We've only got 40 seconds here, but who's the country for you that's going to rise in the next 10 years that we're going to be talking about in the rugby game?
1: Uh, well, you know, I don't want to sound sort of perverse or funny about it, but I think Australia can certainly rise well above where it is at the moment. Um, you know, I, I think probably the easy answer is Japan, but mm. as I l- outlined in one of my articles, I think they've got a lot of uh, problems just bubbling under and it's not going to be easy for them. So uh, I'll stick my head, neck out and say Australia.
0: Yeah, it's not a bad shout. I- I'd love to see one of the Pacific nations start to really emerge. You know, if we saw how fun Fiji were to watch at the last World Cup. It'd be great to see um, them get a bit more exposure through competitions like the NRC or Super Rugby.
3: Well, let's hope for an Australia World Cup win in 20, 2027 in front
0: of a home crowd. Sounds good. All
3: right. gamer Codes on the Raw, show's biggest sporting debate, joined by Jeff Parks, rugby expert at theraw.com.au. Thanks for coming on, mate. Always a pleasure. Catch you soon. All right, Jeff, as that just about brings us to the end of episode 68 of A Game of Codes here on The Raw, show's biggest sporting debate. What are you keeping your eye on over the next couple of days?
0: Well, I've spent a fair bit of time talking about the MCG pitch, but I'm going to be curious to see what kind of pitch we get at Optus Stadium this week for the test between Australia and New Zealand. It was a wonderful, lively wicket last time around, which was somehow criticised. But, uh, yeah, be fascinated to see what they dish up this year.
3: Can't wait for that Test match as well. Show versus New Zealand. Great. We'll have the full preview on Thursday's edition of A Game of Codes. The show's biggest sporting debate. I'm Matt Petherick. That's Daniel Jeffers. Jeffrey. We'll catch you Thursday. Go tight. On the Raw. Game of Codes. Australia's biggest sporting debate.